Hi, I'm George Sekmanchov. This is Easton Target Archery Podcast number 169. And I am really pleased to be here today with the hero for me personally of 2021. The only person in the year 2021 that made me shout out loud. True story. This is Mackenzie Brown of the United States Archery Team. Mac, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. You know, we have had so many interactions over the years, but I haven't been able to really talk to you very much since your impressive performance in Tokyo of 2020. So I would love to have you, in your own words, Mm -hmm. express for us what it meant for you to be at your second Olympic Games and the most successful American woman in the sport of archery at the Olympic Games in decades. Mm -hmm. You made us all proud. Thank you. Yeah. What was um, it like for you? It was great to be back at the Olympics, but the uh, <clears throat> some of it was left lacking, obviously due to things that we couldn't control as far as uh, the the crowd goes. Um, yeah, the atmosphere was considerably different. Sure. Yes, the the atmosphere was the part that I think makes the Olympics. Um, my favorite memory for most of my life has been the opening ceremonies for 2016 walking out with all of our team and the chanting of USA going that's that's something that just like even now I just got goosebumps thinking about it and um, having that crowd not even just other Americans but just having a crowd there in general makes a big difference but um, just as far as the match goes itself I would argue that that is the hardest women's recurve match in history that's ever been shot. Um, As far as scores, um, we had several, several arrows that were millimeters um, to determine in or out that would have determined the match. um, I I actually got a, I got a photo, close up photo of one of your shots. Mm -hmm. Three millimeters. Yep. Maybe two would have made all the difference in the world. Yep. And that was like that for so many shots. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd shot at that venue for years before the Olympic Games were staged there. Yeah. And I think maybe I even told you, wind is going to be a factor. Mm-hmm. Conditions will be a factor. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're not far from Tokyo Bay. How much of it was it for you, uh, that factor? going into this wind was way more of a factor i believe in our mixed teams and team rounds um i personally believe that the um familiarization step of the games needs to be a lot a lot more robust as far as just ability to train all right i'm here we can start now thanks steve ladies and gentlemen we've been joined by steve the (laughs) Big Cat. Anderson and Clintavius. Warnerinsky. Of Easton's product <laughs> division. So, hey, we had our party crashed. Yeah, party was crashed. Well, going from quality material about archery to talking about other stuff since yeah. these guys are here. Yeah, I guess so. Finish what you were talking about. Uh, I was just talking about the, uh, the familiarization for the games as far as team rounds go. Um, I think that there still needs to be... I think everybody should be able to shoot a match first. I don't think that there should be buys anymore. Um, Just because if you saw all the people who are higher ranked for teams um, who didn't get to shoot a preliminary match, 
they they suffered really bad. Yeah. They could have had the first matches on their qualification. How many times have we had this conversation in other podcasts? At least once. At least. So why don't they listen to you guys? Well, because we have no power. We're just plebes, man. Yeah. But all joking aside, knowing that... wants us to be right We know you're serious about this match. Yes. The, The truth is, it is a really tough situation. Yep. And you came through so well. Thank I mean, you. Honestly. Thanks. I, you know, I, I, I'm personally proud, but also proud of our entire team. But mm-hmm. you really did something special in, in Tokyo. And um, it's something nobody will ever take away from you. Yep. You know? Let's talk about a little bit of your journey. Mm-hmm. Before that and since. Starting with something that Clint's here to talk about a little bit. What is the Mac story? Mackenzie Brown's story of getting into the sport of archery. Mm-hmm. At some point... National Archery in the Schools program was a part of that. Yes. Um, If if I hadn't started and or if I hadn't found out about NASP, I wouldn't be here sitting here today shooting archery. Um, At at this level, at least. Um, I think before well before the podcast, I'd asked you if you hadn't started NASP, you know, what would would you have still ever picked up a bow? Uh, yeah, I think eventually I would have, um, (laughs) but I think that it would have been a lot harder for me to, um, get introduced to this level of archery. As far as NASP goes, um, the, the way our NASP program got picked up, I started in fifth grade, I was 10 years old, and then the people who were certified to, to teach our NASP program in school was taught by our JOAD program that was in our area. So that's how I got linked to JOAD um, to actually get into like the Olympic path to to go to the Olympics. Um, Whereas I don't think that's that pipeline is really necessarily set up very well for a lot of other schools. Um, So I think that, you know, a lot of people who shoot NASP don't know where to go afterward or their their parents don't know how to take them to the next step or you know, funding Which is, is a shame, really. Yeah. I mean, I there are more participants in NASP than in Little League Baseball. Yeah. Is that and true? Very true. Yeah. And wow. It's such a an opportunity for the sport, I mm-hmm. think, to figure out how to connect those two totally different disciplines in archery. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's there's it's not an easy answer, otherwise we'd be doing it already. Of but course. I personally think that uh, NASP is, or at, at least the Genesis bow, is one of the most versatile bows for children or anyone starting in archery. Um, I That's what I recommend for anyone who's going in with a lower budget, yeah. for anyone who is learning how to shoot archery, because I think it's an extremely shootable bow. Um, you can learn how to move your body in the right way to be able to shoot the bow, and you can shoot it in your backyard. You don't need a lot of space for it. Um, but NASP, you can go through to compound, you can go through to recurve, you can go through to bare bow if you choose that path for your life. Um, but I think that, um, NASP is one of those things that has a lot of opportunities to go some, some really cool places. We just have to figure out how to connect those dots because there's other programs that can get those kids to other levels of archery, but it just... So how did you connected. how did you take that step? Like you 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 know you excelled in NASP and you had fun and you did whatever it was yeah. you know its purpose was. So how did you take the step into archery from there? I uh, like I said the 
the people who were who set up our NAS program led the JOAD in our in our area and my dad and my parents have always been super supportive of any of the sports that I wanted to go into um, and I unwisely was trying to go to the Olympics with swimming I was never good enough to go to the Olympics with swimming um, but I still thought the Olympics was really cool so um, my dad found out that I could do Olympics with archery so that was the end of that I was going to the Olympics with archery and then you did it yeah I did yeah. it like not just Twice. talk about it mm-hmm. yep I and wanted to ask you that so you had two Olympic experiences one was probably a strange one yep. due to COVID um, <clears throat> when it was over and then you obviously uh, maybe I'm segueing poorly into this but obviously you decided I'm going to start shooting a compound like was it okay I've been there and I've done that and I've seen a couple Olympic games I'm ready to move on or what was part of that choice um part of the choice to move to compound was was to do with um the taxes of travel having a life yeah on having a life let's Um, let's back up a second you had a big life change in December you got married I got married that's been in the works for a while yeah week before Christmas you got married yep and that that's a life-changing experience isn't it it is yeah Um, in a great way I had a lot of those this year uh (laughs) I got engaged in March right after my birthday um went to the or went to Paris Qualified an Olympic team, right. went to the Olympics, finished fourth, um, then went, got COVID, didn't get to go to World Championships, went to World Cup final, um, didn't get to shoot well there because I didn't get to practice while I had COVID, and then, uh, yeah, went and got married shortly after. Uh, moved to Pennsylvania um, from California. A lot of, lot of different changes, but, like, the... The thing I think a lot of people don't understand is all this international travel is extremely taxing on your your mind, your body, your relationships, everything. And um, I've done this for 10 years now, traveling internationally, um, and I love it. I think it's great. I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, but now I want to transition into something else and that's a little bit more laid back, but still that high level of competition because I think 3D is going to be really challenging for me and um, a new avenue for my brain. And I think everybody needs to be challenged in their day-to-day lives. And your husband's also an archer. Yes, So is. you're kind of in a situation like Mr. Anderson here, whose wife is an archer, a high-level one. Yes. Are you kind of... Um, interested in shooting more 3d as you go forward and is that something your husband's into as well yes so uh my plan is to move forward with asa um and go for that i think my first year i'm going to go with known 50 for women because there's no uh there's no pro known class for the women in asa yet um and I also think it's a good tactic because I'm going to go with known and learn how to judge and use it on an actual ASA range um, so that I can learn it on the targets. And I'm going to judge while I'm going through those, yeah, those competitions. And you learn how to shoot it at the same time. Yeah. And then so I can judge, say, OK, I think it's 34 yards. Hit it with my range finder, be like, OK, I was off by half a yard. That would have got me, you know, this far down on the target. Um, but just 
just learning the targets and, and learning how I shoot at ASAs. Um, my husband is going to be awesome in that and, and, and teaching me how to how to judge because he shot IBOs. He was IBO world champion in 2016. Um, he grew up bow hunting. He, he's had a bow in his hand since he was in diapers, so um, he's definitely got that, um, that advantage of that side of the world. Um, I've only been on the target side, the paper side, so um, to move more towards that, that other side and is going to be exciting for me. So I got to ask, because we brought this up, Steve, how many times, several times since we talked about what McKenzie was doing transitioning wise to compound? I got to ask, do you ever see the fire in your belly again for maybe going to Paris? Is it a possibility? Um, I, I think I've taken Paris off of the table. So maybe Los Angeles? Um, maybe. I, Los Angeles is still in the atmosphere. Okay. No pressure. Just. I know. I, you know, there's an awful lot. Here's the What's deal. What's nice man. is you can change your mind. Yes. You don't have to. You do can do whatever you want here. Exactly. Like you can go. You know what? I'm gonna go grind for a year, and the first month might suck. Here's the nice thing about it, right? If you cut, if you said I want to go back and shoot a recurve, you've got people who've been grinding for four years between Olympic Games, three years now, and they're like, oh, I'm tired by year Two. Olympic, you know, by the Olympic year, and you come in like. If you wanted to, you come in fresh, energize with one specific. It's like a short burst of energy, boom, and you make it or you don't, and whatever. You know, it can be easy to get burnt out, and especially in the cycle of things. Now, I've never had to shoot under a four-year cycle of my trying to hit peak performance in, you know, every fourth year, but I probably have some type of a a burnout phase in just my everyday sh every you know every year shooting where mm -hmm. I go okay you know really into it for two years and then year three you're like ah kind of mm -hmm. you know whatever and it's just not the same it's not like you take your foot off the gas or whatever but it's you just don't have that same invigoration so maybe for you it'll you know you get this nice break from it you get to enjoy a different side of archery which doesn't remove you from it, it might even help you Mm -hmm. A lot of people might find, hey, I, I learned some different stuff with compound or just an expectation of precision constantly. New like perspective, you, yeah, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. you're experiencing that here at Vegas. Like, you have to, you can't, it's not a race of how fast is your boat, like, in recurve. Like, you're trying to find a ceiling in recurve, and here you're trying not to hit the floor, mm -hmm. right? That's the difference. So, some people carry that to a recurve game, and now they have a new expectation, a new way of approaching the shot and it can be helpful I think so yeah. I don't know I think if you wanted to you go back and do it I, I believe it I believe the break would be beneficial I do yeah. that I do believe that I I think that's part of it too like you said the the four-year cycle is is interesting because it's so long and so short all at the same time because four years to prepare for an Olympic Games is not enough I I don't believe that I think you know I tried out for the London 2012 games as well, and I finished in the top top five, I think, was my final finish. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah. And um, I honestly tell people if they have aspirations to go to the Olympics, to go to whichever next trials you can go to, to get that experience of what a trials is like and what, what the bar is to get Make to. Make it an eight-year thing. Yeah, because... 
to be able to be ready in four years is, in my opinion, an unrealistic expectation just starting from, you know, the average shooter or the, the shooter that's, you know, four years into it already. They're, they're kind of new to an extent. Um, but then whenever you're in that, in that cycle of going for the games, constantly going for the games, you know, it's like, okay, four years is super long to wait. But if you go for two years and then you're like, okay, I'm not feeling it. It's not just a rut. It's like a, I'm not feeling it at all anymore. That's really hard to get out of. And you also feel a little bit of guilt, too, if you don't continue for that four years because you've already invested you're your invest, entire so life pressure. for two years. Yeah. And then there's another <laughs> side of it where, you know, you said it's long and it's short at the same time because – it's a four-year investment that comes down to a small window of matches for the actual Olympic trials. Like, yep. I mean, how many arrows does it count towards Olympic trials? A thousand? I don't even I, know what the number is. I honestly didn't count my trials yeah, arrows. But it comes down to basically, you guys had, what, basically two main trials for this last one? I, like I one honestly think the, the first trials is huge yeah because um the the gap is smaller for points that you can that you can achieve but if you get any kind of advantage in first position or second position depending on whatever your whatever spots you've already got yeah um if you create any kind of gap it becomes almost insurmountable by the time you catch up in, in trial two and three. And that's my experience from this Olympics and this Olympic trials is I had a big dip in my career. Um, I, I'll be honest, back in like 2019, um, 2018. And that's subsequently how I met my husband. Um, I ended up going out to Lancaster and staying with Casey and the Caulfield family and uh, met my husband on the very last day I was there after being there for like three weeks and finally got the courage to ask me out. So that worked out. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I, the first trials for, well, quote unquote trials was the, uh, the nationals. Yeah. And, and it was the qualification and I didn't do well at that. I, I was like 10th or something like that in that trials. Um, so I was already at a huge deficit and I slowly worked my way back up, um, to second after the second trials, which is in Texas. And, uh, that was a great day and I worked really hard to get there on those, those matches, but it's that trials game and mindset is it's tough it's, it's the short window in the long four years that yeah it's like so it's like anything you can i mean right now i'm not shooting my best a month ago i was shooting maybe the best i ever have and it's mm-hmm. like if that timing doesn't work out with trials four years could be gone you know yep and it, and the same it might not even be your your doing it might be someone else just gets really hot yep shoots really well for the trial session and, and gets a spot on the team. Yeah. So one thing I've always wondered, so it's cool that I'm getting FaceTime with you to ask, because yeah. I've always wondered this, you know, because of the selection process and everything, you could, you could, you could say that, let me articulate myself if I want to say this, 
the level of competition at the games arguably is maybe not as high as in like a high-level World Cup event because they're, they're stacking so much talent in there and that a country might have a lot more shooters in those other events. Right? Unless you bracket where she did. That's the problem. Well, the, but my point, here's what I'm getting at. It kind of doesn't matter because you're going to the world stage, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's watching. So what is that... How does that, you, I mean, if you look at it analytically and logically and stuff, and you could, you could say, well, on paper, this should be maybe a different, mm -hmm. I don't want to say easier path because it's not logical. Mm -hmm. Explain what it feels like and what it's like to be on that world stage and maybe how the pressure feels. So I'll answer it in a different way. I think I'm, I understand what you're trying to ask. Um, but because I disagree with what you're what you're saying because okay. the Olympic level of shooting is harder because it is the Olympics, not because it, and the level is already it's already there. It's like that's the bar. Everybody's shooting that, right. but. The mentality is different, and that's what makes the Olympics harder. Because everybody knows that it's the Olympics. Because I guess where, where I'm getting at is like it would maybe somebody would want. I want to be in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. I would never beat Mackenzie in the U.S. to qualify for the U.S. team. Well, you would. So I'm a you're, you're I'm, man, and I'm a woman. So but you're assume never I was a woman. Assume I were a woman. Okay. So I'm a woman. I'm competing I guess you can against Mackenzie. Yeah. That's an uncomfortable <laughs> position. You're. No, but the point. Here's my point. Why not just repatriate to Jamaica, right? Now, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not quite Mackenzie Brown's caliber shooter, right? This happens. But I'm going to repatriate to Jamaica. I'll make the team every time. I'm going to be a four-time Olympian yes, in can Jamaica. You, can you get Olympic spots? Yeah, you have to I don't know how, see, I don't know how this works. Mm -hmm. This is where I can say this kind of stupid stuff yeah. so there's, because I don't know how it works. But it's, it's all good. Yeah. But I'm genuinely a lot of folks, concerned about A lot of folks listening this. to the podcast, one reason he's our guest as yep. well, is because this is the kind of questions you might expect yeah. to feel. I bring the point of view of the of the maybe every normal folks. Yes, the every just, man. or every you know. woman in this case. So yeah. the Olympics, uh, the Olympics is just six, <laughs> is just sixty four men and sixty four women. So there is a cutoff on how many people can can fill those spots. George, I think three musicians just asked to have their music removed from Spotify because of this podcast. Oh. Oh, a lot oh of this God. is getting edited out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. I love it. I, uh, let's I note where we're at that. in the show. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You, I would go back and edit this out. Several minutes later, all edited out because we don't want to get ourselves canceled. If you're a shooter, I'm competing against Mackenzie. I'm not as good as Mackenzie, and I know that. Mm -hmm. But there's the deck is stacked, so Korean women. Stack deck. Their second B team shooter is probably way better than the A team of 70% of the countries out there. Could be. Why don't they just leave Korea, go become a citizen of whoever, and well, then... Oh, that, that's that's that actually answers, happened in some countries. That answer is more? a little bit different. That that has more to do with their their culture um, than okay. anything. That, that specific scenario. But... Right. Uh, to say pick a, a random smaller country where it would be easier to make a team. So 
you can make the quote-unquote Olympic team right. by going through their trials and finishing first in their trials, but if you don't have a spot to fill at the Olympic Games, you're not an Olympian. The country so and your, the, your score has to qualify. Yeah. So, so now bringing it back full circle to what I said, so if you were to take the collective talent of all the athletes in the Games, back to what I was saying, it might, you might have a higher overall talent pool outside of the games, but when you're there, it's a to none of that matters, right? Mm. Like you can kind of throw it out the window, anything can happen. Anything can happen, um, and that, especially with I'm, set system. Is that because yeah, set the system. stress? <laughs> is it the stress? Is it the, you're, you're there and you're like, I've arrived and now everybody's going to kind of elevate to it, a universal level? I mean, what is it about the games that make it special? It's, it's the, the Olympic Games. Um, it, it's you can't pay your entry fee and go to that event. Exactly, archery is one of those sports that really belongs in the Olympic Games, in my opinion. Yeah, back me up if I'm wrong or right, rather, because it's the most important thing in our sport. Olympic Games are the most important thing in the sport of archery. Understand? Okay, golf. What's the most important thing in golf? The Masters. What's the most important thing in tennis? Wimbledon. What's the most important thing in MotoGP? Never mind. Valentino that was a bad Rossi. One. Okay. So my <laughs> point is, archery, what's the most important thing? Uh, the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, what's the most important the, thing, Clint, in archery? The Olympics. It's the What's the most important thing, Steve, in archery? For me, Vegas. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so two out of three the say Olympics. the Olympics. Yeah. It's, That's not the case for a lot of sports. It's the epitome. It's the, it's the highest... Uh, tournament that you can go to as far as prestige goes. Exactly. Uh, right. For for recurve. Yep. Um, Compound may have something else World that's games. a little bit like a little bit like that, but it's completely different. Well, I can promise it's not you. Near the people don't realize World that. Games, yeah. People assume. Yeah. Well, it's not an assumption. The Olympics is is the thing, no matter what. It doesn't right. matter what right. the sport yep. is. Right. And the other thing is that being an Olympian. No one can ta ever take that away from me. Correct. It's no like being a Marine. What happens? Nobody can ever take that away so from did me. Contrast the two Olympics then: the COVID Olympics versus prior, right? The, there was versus the Zika Olympics. Yeah, right. Don't forget. I didn't. Well, I do, but it was different, right? Not really. Uh, well, they didn't. Did they quarantine it just to? No. Yeah, I mean, so that's the what level, I'm wondering the is, level of did it feel different? But you had exposure to both. Did it feel well. different in Tokyo yes. because of it? Absolutely. It would have felt different no matter what. And Tokyo was, so Tokyo was truly a bubble. So do you, as a shooter, do you feed off of what was lacking? I mean, do you think you would have, would that have been a positive thing for you if? Absolutely. A crowd? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you've been to both, so you know what it's mm -hmm. like to have a big crowd that's enthusiastic and what it's like to hear. I've also been to World Cup finals where they're, like, for, for Mexico City, you've got people lining all the way down on your practice range. Yeah. You literally have tan faces looking at you while you're at full draw. Your clicker clicks, the arrow shoots, and then you see blackheads as soon like all the black hair. Just, yeah. They oh, turn wow. watching your arrows as you're as you're practicing. And you you're, you um, notice that? Yeah, my I have pretty good peripheral vision. Wow. Um, but and and spatial awareness. But um, whenever it comes to to the crowd, it's just atmospheric, and and you feed off of that that pressure. Um, a lot of, we were just talking, I was on the, the Trueball Excel panel just a minute ago, and they were talking about pressure, and Brady was saying, if, if you say you don't have, if you don't feel the pressure, then, um, you don't, you don't shoot or some, something else, but I, I think that 
it it comes down to how you can handle the pressure and how you can control your body's response to the pressure and having a having a crowd truly makes it more of a a full experience if you are just out there by yourself and your competitor and your two coaches it would you could hear crickets like you could hear you know the lawnmower two two acres away like it it's you get hyper aware yeah and whenever you've got that crowd it kind of it works like a sound machine and you can tunnel vision and and tunnel focus too interesting um because i don't hear the individual people yelling unless somebody says something funny which you know obviously that helps you loosen up a little bit but but you that, got sort of a white wall of noise that yeah that well things. thank you for indulging me with my nonsense of course it's I, fine i mean it, Everybody I, has these questions, and, yeah. and that's that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand about the process for the Olympics is that that finding being able to have all your spots. It was extremely stressful to go to uh, go through all of our trials, which were extremely hard and had their own level of trial in in and of themselves, not just the trials that were laid out, but we had technical issues that uh, were arguably devastating um and then just stuff like that so we we had really hard trials to fight for one spot which i did in 2016 but i created my gap and i kept making it bigger in 2016 i was walking in on a deficit in 2021 or and i worked my best i i shortened the gap but it was a really big gap um so with that we're fighting for one spot and then we went and had one more opportunity to fight for three spots full team right for me and jennifer to also go because for a while there was worry that we wouldn't even put a woman's team in. correct you're you're exactly right clint that was the big concern was that the united states had only earned one spot yes and And by the way that's important to note that the united states earns the spot not an individual i felt a lot of pressure on my shoulders because i'm the oldest by like a lot like my most experience for sure <laughs> my my sister is a is like 10 months younger than Casey like she's she's sibling age so you're like the oldest younger. kid in the family. I was the oldest oldest kid yep um and just going out there and Jennifer's only 18 at the time I, I think she might have even been 17 at the time of the trials yep. process yeah 17 or 18 so I think um, you'll uh, it, you're going to be well primed to represent women when they open up compound in the games <laughs> um yeah that would be awesome I I honestly think Olymp- uh, compound in the Olympics would be great I think it would be really cool for them to do like a, a completely different format than 50 meters. Um, would you like but, to see a 70 meter format or something else? Field archery? What would you like to see? Um, I think field would be cool. I also think that if if they were able to do it indoor <laughs> in a different way, so say do 25 meters indoor, um, or I I think it would be really cool to add it to the Winter Games, but. It's, it would be difficult you know, to do that on ice or snow. Yeah, because they so. do require ice. You know what I think is... The, Although it might change with global here's another. Change. Here's another idiot perspective from me. I think the most entertaining form of archery to watch from a spectator perspective 
is Buckmasters, believe it or not. Uh, um, it's the, the whole pop-up thing. I'm walking away now. No, I'm, I'm not saying it's you do it as a 3D thing, but it, the whole notion of like you can't see the target, it pops up, and so then you have to react. Here's From a my, spectator standpoint, it's cool. My first response to that is that the Olympics is about the epitome of athleticism. Higher, faster, stronger. Like you are the best of the best. Uh And that should be the priority, not the spectator. Okay. And I know I just went through all of this talking about spectators being amazing and being helpful. But ultimately, to the, isn't that the what the organizers and when it all comes it down is, to it? But if you don't get the spectators, they kind of that's what gets sports. But people mixed. who people who do sport, yeah, want the want the integrity of of com- competition more than they want it to look good on TV because it's going to look good on TV because we're competing and people who love archery are going to watch it or people who think archery is some novelty are going to want to watch it. So whenever we're talking about, we were talking about set set system earlier and that is a product, a monster of TV. Um, We kind of adapted sort of from tennis, the set system um, but ultimately, it is it is anybody's game in the Olympics because of the set system. And if you look at um, a cumulative score on the matches that we shot, some people who shot better will lose. Some people who shot worse will win. Um, I had several matches, actually, that went to a tie that would have gone to a tie anyway through... Uh, through a cumulative score. Through straight scoring. My my uh, semifinal match would have gone to a shoot-off as well. Um, but there are several times where it works in your favor mm-hmm. that you had a, had a bad end and then were able to come back and still win the match. And it also will kick you in the butt because the per- other person shot bad but were able to win enough sets to win the match against you. Is there speculation? Do we think Compound will ever be there? I mean, is it ever going to get there? There's active games? work going on right now by World Archery and some of its partners to bring Compound Bow into the Olympic Games with a distinct possibility of having a test event at Los Angeles in 2028. Hmm. But with that said, it is an uphill battle. There's no doubt about that because you need three things for Compound to succeed in the sport. And I will point out that Mackenzie's participation is helping to fulfill one of those things, which is gender equality, gender equity, universality. Those are the factors that the International Olympic Committee is looking for, for allowing a new form of archery in the Olympic Games. The more women that shoot compound, the more the IOC will say we have closer to parity with men's participation. Now, this is also geographically based. We see things like more Korean women shooting compound now, which is also helping to make the case that compound deserves its place as a separate sport in the Olympic Games. To me personally, I think it's more critical to answer the question that Mackenzie brought up earlier. What form of round would we see in and a compound round in the Olympic Games. The next few years, and I mean a few, like three, will be critical 
toward giving us the momentum that will be required if we're going to see a real chance of compound before the decade is complete. You also just made an argument for compound to be um, indoor for, for the Olympics because if you look at the level of score between men's and women's, you have 300s right now on the women's side. And you yeah, we saw Sarah Lopez down there shooting off for $10,000 just minutes ago before we started the podcast. That, and then it, there's there were a lot of 300s. There yes. were a lot of perfect score. The opportunity is there. And the I think the equalizer in, in indoor is the fact that you don't need a super fast bow and you don't need super long draw length. Um, you just need there's to be no able to advantage. shoot a bow well. Yeah. Well, and even that, like the the shift in wind doesn't. There, there's no. It's just shooting. That's what I do like about indoor. Outdoor, you have times when you could play it as fair as possible, but one archer gets a windy twenty seconds, and the other one gets a calm twenty seconds. There's no controlling that. Archery is better when it's shot indoor. Outdoor archery is best when it's shot indoors. I'm just gonna say. I disagree. Nah. I prefer outdoor. I like being outside better than I like being inside. I've always liked outdoor archery way better than indoor archery. Even 70 meters, I feel so much better and so much more in control outside than I do inside. Well, for a spectator, non-participator, outdoor is better too. Outdoor is way cooler. I like the idea of finishing a podcast with some serious disagreement. (laughs) I don't even know what we talked about this whole podcast. I was listening... But I always uh, paying I, attention can well, be pretty expensive. Well, here's my problem. Steve. Like, I uh, do you ever read a book and you skip a sentence and you continue to read like two pages and you're like, I know I Wait, skipped what that did sentence. They say and you need to sentence. go back. Yes, mm-hmm. that happened earlier. Um, it's because you were texting me. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> that was just being funny. But no, Mackenzie was getting on something about how set system sucks, and we didn't go into it. And then I this whole time have been like. I looked at you too when I was saying about set system, and you just didn't even. You mentioned a little bit of it here, but I didn't feel like we just. So uh, I have I have a couple of resolutions to make. One one is we're going to have Mac back on the podcast as often as I can possibly manage. I'll even Zoom call you guys and do a Zoom podcast. Number two. That's how we normally do it. I think it would be really interesting to continue to follow your journey into compound. So we want to catch up with you once in a while. It doesn't yeah. have to be full podcast, but mm-hmm. wouldn't it be great to have a little bit of a training journal or see what you're doing? That'd be kind of cool. So that would be really cool. Well, and I'll just say one more thing kind of to go with what what Steve and I agree on as far as set system not being the greatest system. Um, Wait, I've never I, had an agreement with someone on this show ever. You're the first person. Yeah, I, I... Usually I'm only disagreeing with George. Well... And it's we, kind of his designated role. We agree on set not, system, which I think that set system, you can learn how to play it just like a, a, a cumulative score. Yeah. But when a cumulative score happens, you get more of the underdog, which people love to watch. And the best archer still comes out on top. Can I give you guys a little perspective as the OG of the group here today? Sure. When in 1992 for the Barcelona Olympic Games, Jim Easton changed it from a whole bunch of people standing in a line shooting over four days to legit 
head-to-head -head competition without sets, so straight score. Mm -hmm. I think, honestly, that's where we should have stopped. And adding set system, for me personally, as a commentator, as a shooter, I don't think mm -hmm. that really was a great thing. Well, the it's other drawback, that's, that's the other drawback. It's hard to explain how the guy that shot or a woman that shot a lower score actually beat the other yeah. person. It's that's the awkward part. It's not hard to explain. It's just that you have to explain it. Yeah. Yes. It's pretty easy to go, that guy has more points, that girl has more points, they move on. The truth is that Jim Easton and Peter Diamond pretty much dialed it in pretty much right from the beginning. You had 18 arrows in your early matches, and then you, did, you went down to 12 arrows when you got down to the final few in I would the like to, to do that format. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I, I did do the, the no sets format when I was younger, um, but I, I genuinely think, like what you said, it's not hard to, to uh, explain, but with a cumulative score, you don't have to explain, and you don't have to go back and explain it again. And, and anybody who comes and watches and looks at two scores, they're like, cool. But if two people have two points, like, how did they get the two points? Yeah, and, and here's uh, another part of that is every match, the commentators are explaining the set system. Right. Over and over again. Yeah, if you're a, I don't know. It, it, it's, I'm sure that's not that big of a deal, but it's just not. As humans, we really understand scoreboards. Right? right, if it's a straight score. Higher number versus lower number, done. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Every other sport works off that. Um, you know, you could argue there's some stuff like with a series, like a best of seven series, but man, set system has uh, created some interesting things, but I, it just, it's not a situation of the best archer winning. I also wonder about, um, I wonder about whenever we're doing bracket systems if we can't do something that's more like pool shooting like versus where everyone shoots a match and the top scores go like yeah versus mexico where you yeah. don't you don't have yeah the bottom half score go through and the top half goes through right. interesting idea. and go Round through Robin the first Ray. like Ray. say that's the first mm -hmm. depending on how many people you have in your pool say the first three matches are that way. Yeah, you have to shoot in the top people half. People don't understand it, but it, when you whittle the field down enough, then you go back into a head-to-head. -head. Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because yeah. how many times have you gone into a match in a, in a bracket system where you've shot and had to shoot perfect to win a match, like in Lancaster, say, that, that yeah. format, where you had to shoot perfect to win your match, but the person that's two bales over from you had to shoot they, a yeah, 127 they drop, they drop to win. Five points it happens all the time. It's probably, it's possibly, and please don't fact check, fact check any of this. It's possibly the only way I've ever lost a match. Is in that same scenario. Well, it looks like they're rolling up the uh, trade show here yeah, in Las I gotta Vegas. Go. Everybody seems to have to go. Although <laughs> I think I just feel like we just scratched the surface. Yeah, let's Again, do I some feel that this is incomplete. Let's do it. I'm not even sure we should publish this. Well, we're going to anyway because that's what we do. That's well, our yeah, way. There's definitely some edits that need to happen. Nah, but... I think there's going to be one edit. It'll cover some issues. Clint made that uncouth joke about oh, Canada. I, I need I need to tell you that joke actually after yeah. this is finished. So. Okay, so 
Uh, we're going to stop the podcast now so we can hear Nothing the joke. I said. We usually have a funnier ending to the podcast. You guys are the ones that took it in the gutter.